Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, they're mean, they're bean, they're machine, they're playing Sega Genesis games for the very first team. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going great. It's kind of crazy to think that we're here at the end of 2021. Mm-hmm. Big year for the show. Five years. 500 episodes. Yeah. We did... Uh, um we ranked the Mario uh, <laughs> costumes in Super Mario Odyssey. That took us two weeks. That's right. That's right. I'm uh, also trying to remember things that we did this year, um, but it was a good year. I, it was a good it year. Was a it lot was of fun. It was the return to recording in person. That's right. Which that was a that felt huge uh, to me. Look, we we played through uh, most of Triforce Heroes with Matt Acevedo. That was super fun. Yep. Um, but look, this episode is not about us. Uh, reminiscing about episodes that no, we recorded earlier. Not at all. We've got uh brand new to us uh games to talk about from 30 years ago. Um this you are in of course week 2 of our Sega Genesis. What are we calling this? Do we have a a, a Sega Genesis um celebration yeah. mm-hmm. is the gala? Okay, sure. I I was going to ask We're dressed for it. I was going to ask about the gown. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> You're right. It, it I'm gosh. dressed for it. <laughs> yes. I didn't want to throw you under the bus. Okay, but here true. we go. Well, we may as well end the year the way we started. <laughs> Fighting about clothes. <laughs> uh yes, but before we get to all of that, would you like to borrow my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch? You can certainly try. All you got to do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. gmail.com and give us a mailing address where we can send you my copy of this video game. There may be a copy of Untitled Goose Game inside my copy of Sonic Forces. Look, man, it's just something that happens. Yeah, you got to deal with it either way. Play it. Don't play it for as long as you want. Send it back. It doesn't cost you anything. Here's another thing you can do to either end your year on a good note, or depending on when you're listening to this, start your year on a good note, or really um, have the middle of your year, you know, right. kickstart a fresh start in June. Look, 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 look. There's always going to be a time where you need a good note. Yeah, that's right. Be at the beginning, right. the end, or Thank middle of the year. Thank you for saving me and not yeah. having to come up with, you know, like stuff in January and February and on and on and on. Right. Here's what you can do. You can leave us a five-star review on the U.S. Apple Podcast Store mm-hmm. or wherever you get your podcast. If you leave us a review on the U.S. Apple Podcast Store, we'll give you a shout-out on the show. That's the storefront that we check. But if you review us, favorite us, share us in any way, anywhere else, send us an email, hit us up on Twitter. We would love to give you a shout-out. Thank you so much to everybody who has left us a review. It's been a while since we've had a review on the U.S. Apple Podcast Store. So if you've been thinking about it, 
then you should get on it. However, keep in mind that we are recording this episode about two weeks in advance. So there, you could have already left us a review and we haven't talked about that's it That's right. That's, that's right. It, that's, that's very possible. We're banking a couple episodes here so we can... Uh, so that we can end the year on a high note, just as you can end the year on a high note by giving us a five-star review on whatever platform you uh, take in your podcast. Mark, are you ready to get into it? Are you ready to talk about some Sega Genesis games? Yes. Let's do it. Here we go. Today, we are talking about three games I played Fantasy Star 4, The End of the Millennium, or a fraction thereof. Mark played Strider, or a fraction thereof. And then we both played Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. Yeah, and before we get into talking about this week, I do feel like there's a little bit of expectation from myself mm. because last week we ended up loving all three games Yes, that well, we played. I, did we love Golden Axe? No, you're right. <laughs> We loved... We begrudgingly respected it by the did. end. We did. You're right. Which was right. almost more surprising than We would, like, it. see... You know, it's like when two people who are driving Jeeps, like, drive... Like, stop next to each other at a yes. stoplight. Yes. And they, like, give each other, like, a nod or, like, a... As a, rump. A, as a former Jeep owner, I I can say, yes, I'm familiar with this look and this feeling. And I feel like that was us and Golden Axe. Yeah. We pulled up to the stoplight together and we're like, we may not be the same people but, but like but like we think the same things are important <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> that's how we feel about golden, golden axe is a lifestyle brand that's what we're saying <laughs> i mean it's not not right like there there is something very like evocative about the like arcade brawler like that that well maybe lifestyle isn't totally right that it does feel like part of like arcade rat culture yeah, Does I that mean, make sense? Uh, it makes 100% sense to me because yeah. uh, you and I have based our entire identities on Nintendo. Yes. So, yes. Golden Axe could be an identity. But this is, of course, not about Golden no, Axe. No, we All are not, I was saying not about Golden Axe is today. that last week we had a great time with those three Genesis games that were new to us, or mostly new to us. And this week, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on Fantasy Star. Uh, and I'm excited to hear your st thoughts on Strider. And we're actually going to start with your thoughts on Strider as we started with my thoughts on whatever the heck game I played last week. What did I play? Gunstar Heroes? Gunstar Heroes. Um, uh, so, Mark, I would love to hear about Strider. This is the only not Sega published game that we have on our list. So right? it is published by Sega, Ooh. but it is based on a Capcom arcade game game that released in 1989 but sega ported it themselves for the genesis man what a weird time that i mean and this is part of just like the sort of like infrastructure of there being arcade games and two different home consoles that like people were porting things to other things that like had no relationship to the original and there is an nes like strider but apparently it's a very different game and the Genesis one is supposed to be very close to the arcade game. I have never... Strider is completely new to me, not just on Genesis. I've never played the arcade game. I wasn't familiar with it. Yeah. Like, it was totally new to me. Are, do, do you have any familiarity with Strider? This is great. So the only... Strider is a playable character in some Capcom versus oh, game. Oh, okay. So either a Marvel versus Capcom, could be either two or three... Um, or like Tatsunoku versus Capcom, or one of those kinds of games. So I know I have messed around with this character. Does he wear a scarf? 
Um, is he like a ninja? He's like a he's he's a white dude. Okay, yeah. But so he's not like a look ninja in the eighties. White dudes could be ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not like a ninja ninja. But he is um, like a secret agent type okay, guy. Okay, yeah. All right. Well, then, then maybe I. But I don't, don't know if really he wears a scarf. Okay. It's it's not rendered that clearly. Mm-hmm. Maybe he mm-hmm. wears a scarf later. I don't believe he's wearing a scarf. Is is he mostly wearing like blue or dark colors? Um, I want to say like pink, mostly pink. Then maybe I don't know this character <laughs> at all. Well, also, and I'm thinking of something else. Yeah. Uh, well, truly, we will never know. But I I don't want to bury the lead here. <laughs> I loved Strider. <laughs> the game is in. I, I found it to be insanely hard. Okay. So it is. It's like a roller coaster. Um. Or actually, do you know what it felt like? It felt like playing. Um. It felt like the experience of watching Mad Max Fury Road, where like once it gets going, it is just like a roller coaster and doesn't yeah. really let up. Yeah. And the, you f- you you feel like it needs to let you go for a second. Yeah. Like where like you almost feel sick, even though it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Because. The game is relentless. Like, it really feels like a theme park ride. It, Strider, playing Strider feels like um, somebody made a game today, like an indie game, and they were like, I want to make the perfect game that didn't exist for my childhood. Sure. Right? But, like, I love these bullet hell games. Yeah. And so I'm going to throw all these different elements in. And that game is going to be Strider, except they did make it in the 80s, and it is the game that people love. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it sort of does. I just want to interject here and say that... Uh, does he have a scarf? Strider has a scarf. Okay. He's mostly wearing blue as he appears <laughs> in Marvel vs. Capcom, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3, and Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. So he's evidently a mainstay <laughs> in the Marvel vs. Capcom series, I've g- wears a scarf and blue. I've got to say... <laughs> Surprises me he wears a scarf. This feels like a Edna Mode um yeah, that this feels like an Edna Mode cape situation. Oh, sure. Like, like he's gonna get, he's he's flying gonna get trapped. In, yeah. yeah, he's like flying around in zero gravity. There's robots with claws that are grabbing at him. Like the scarf just seems like a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. I uh, yeah, that that makes sense to me. Also, uh, I I would venture to guess that from these renders in Marvel versus Capcom, they have retconned his whiteness mm. in, in mm-hmm. future games. Let me And actually he may not act, be white in this one mm. because I think it is based on an anime character. In fact, his name is absolutely definitely a Japanese name. Yeah, but I mean, all of that gets like murky. A in the '80s in animation, and B in video games uh, in the '80s and '90s. Um, so the setup for this game is, or like the setting for it, is amazing. So Strider glides in on a rocket hang glider, and there's a little bit of text at the beginning that tells you the year is 2048, and you're in this like. They call it Eurasia, but it's like this techno, um, futuristic. Everything's really like bright colors. Yeah, like um, like, like a Soviet neon. state. Okay, all right. Yeah. So you start on like the roof of Saint Petersburg, and immediately the game is just like go go go. You cannot stop moving in Strider, or you will die because there's too mm. many enemies on screen. There's too many like bullets and everything. It's like you have to. Cu- constantly be moving forward and so 
what kind of defenses do you have against these bullets? You don't, is it just like run and jump? The only thing you have, you can like run, you can jump, um, and you have a cipher sword, which is on Strider's back. But he pulls it so quickly that really like in the game, it looks like you are shooting this like um, arc out. Oh, sure. So, so a little bit like the, uh, the, the Ninja Gaiden almost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that is like, that's it. That's pretty much all you get through the entire game. There are a couple of times where you can activate these kind of like robot companions. One is this like tiger thing. One is this little um, like round robot that follows you around and kind of pr provides like a little bit of a shield. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty much it. There, you can gain up to five bars of health. Every time you get hit, you lose one bar of health. But in addition to that, as you're moving through levels, there is like a timer. And it's not a timer for the entire level. It is a timer for sections of the level. So that's another reason why you can't just like hang out. Oh, sure. You so you have to like have hit to be little checkpoints forward. almost? Exactly. Okay. And as you hit checkpoints, you earn more time. And so there were a couple of times where the game is not very long. It's like... 20 minutes if you know what you're oh, doing. Oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty short. But Mark, I... Do you at this point know what you're doing? I know what I'm doing. I could not beat this game. Okay. I got to the final level, but it was just too much. Too many bullets, too many like little robots flying around, too many... It's It turns into like a boss rush at the end, so yeah. all the oh, bosses so that you cool. before. Yeah. It's very cool, but like I couldn't beat it. Even using the rewind feature yeah. on Nintendo Switch Online, it was just like... It was too much. Um... That sounds very cool and very much like uh, games that I have enjoyed in the last couple years, like The Messenger, like Cyber Shadow. Um, how is the um, like mobility? How's getting around the levels? Does it so feel I think good? I, made, I think it does feel pretty good, but I think I made the mistake of using the Nintendo. I used my Joy-Con to play it, mm -hmm. and um, it's a game that's really made for the Sega Genesis controllers kind of like eight directional D-pad that yeah, made it very yeah. easy for you to choose like those in between the cardinal directions. Yeah, totally. Because Strider's movement is based on like you can use all eight areas. Yeah. And so I was using a Joy-Con, which means I was trying to replicate that not just with the D-pad, which is like kind of challenging enough, but right. with like the four discrete buttons. Yeah. That was not a good call. Well and the the D pad such as it is on a set of Joy Cons is really just four buttons. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah, yeah. exactly. Um and yeah, the the original Genesis controller is a D pad in that it is one big button, but also it's sort of it's like webbed. Yeah. Right. So that like the the cardinal directions there's also like a little bit of button. Right. So yeah. it makes it very easy to use like all eight inputs yeah has anyone ever revisited that design not that i know of okay because this, this was also something that i was thinking about while playing gunstar heroes which is also you know really reliant on you being able to shoot in all directions there are two modes at the beginning of gunstar heroes you get to select either uh anytime you're shooting you're standing still so that you can literally shoot in all eight directions um or uh that uh you like run and gun and therefore you're um you know just restricted to uh, left, right, up, right, up, and up, left, um, or like crouching and then like shooting the the down directions, but like that that would cause you to stop. Um, but yeah, it, it makes me look. This was a question I was going to save for later in the episode, but do you feel at all like tempted or compelled to get a Genesis controller for the Nintendo Switch? I 
can absolutely see the benefits. Yeah. I don't know that I actually will, but I can 100% see the benefits for playing like a game like Strider. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. I think it would make a huge difference. A really big difference. Um, can you tell me about like any of the levels if they're all like, I would roller coaster rides? Love yes, to. yes. <laughs> okay, because it's like, um, so you start in you know this like uh, kind of like Blade Runner esque Saint Petersburg, and so there's a big bad in the game just who's referred to as like the master, mm-hmm. and basically you are you know like chasing after him. But uh, in so in Saint Petersburg, you are basically like you land on the roof and then you're making your way down. And at the end you are, you end up in like this like parliament, like in, like uh, in parliament. So like, it's a room with a bunch of um, dudes in powdered wigs, like bureaucrats, (laughs) you know, like uh, sitting in chairs and then they, uh, but they're all like cyborgs. And then they form this dragon. They all like come together, link up to form this like dragon. And that's the final boss. That's pretty cool. It's amazing. And then, after that, you are you're like in Siberia, and the final boss of that, and so the final boss of that one is like this techno bounty hunter, and from Siberia, like at the end of the level, you jump onto this airship, and so the next, uh, the yes. third level is on an airship Give me called a- the Airship Balrog. I mean, Mark, it's come so, on, so come that's on. what I mean, where it feels like um, something that like. Uh, an indie creator would make today, and you'd be like, "Those are all like cool references." Yeah, but they did it in the eight, you know, like in the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, well, and it seems like then that th- this is the sort of thing that people like the developers of the Messenger and Cyber Shadow and all those are absolutely crea- are recreating. Absolutely, yeah. okay. And uh, on the airship, the final boss of the airship, the is so cool because you're going through the you're running through the airship and suddenly gravity changes so mm. instead of jumping up you know like you're on the top of the ceiling yeah and you drop down and then you drop into this chamber another gunstar heroes thing by the way but oh, yeah right. yeah, yeah. For, from the minecart levels but uh, yeah keep going um and then you drop down into this chamber and it's like circular and you can uh like slide around on the sides but the boss is this big like um I want to call it a satellite, but it's like a satellite mashed up with a robot, and it has like these little little debris that's um, like, Cir- like circling it, circling orbiting it, it yeah. right? And so th- those can hurt you, but you get caught up in its like gravity as well, and so you are like zero g, like rotating around. Oh, that's cool. This like robot just trying to uh, kill it. It's really cool do you know what it kind of reminded me of you know that sequence in uh mission impossible rogue nation where tom hank uh tom cruise tom hanks <laughs> has to jump into this like um uh underwater thing and hold his breath for oh, like six yeah. minutes while there's okay. that like rotating arm yes to, for whatever reason it made me kind of like think of that but it's a very 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 cool sequence and nothing really outstays its welcome every uh, it's a 20 minute game so everything's really short after that, you destroy the airship and you end up in the Amazon. This is probably maybe like the weaker level. The Amazon? You the, really like went on a journey <laughs> in this airship. It's like an Amazonian jungle uh-huh. um, that has these female warriors. They're kind of making... Amazons? Th- yeah, yeah. Like, like our, our, our favorite uh, wonderful butted character from Golden Axe. <laughs> yeah, She was an right. Amazon. That's right. Um, it's... Uh, Probably my like least favorite level. They're making some kind of very stereotypical like 
grunty jungle noise type yeah, stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, but there are dinosaurs that you can run on their backs. And the end, the final boss is this like giant mech dinosaur. Then finally you end up in the third moon, which is, you know, the big bad's lair. And it's totally a greatest hits from it's it's like the most bullet hell of bullet hell possible. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then turns into a boss rush where at the very end, you know, the uh parliamentary dragon thing comes back, but you have to ride its back. Oh, and that's you have to so like cool. stay on top of it until, you know, it, it goes up to where you actually fight the master, which I could never beat. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just like so like it's five, amazing. Strider is so cool. Five five levels. Five levels. Yep. Man, that sounds so cool. It's, I'm, it's I really, really want to cool. check it out now. Yeah, I I highly recommend it. Uh, how about tunes? How's the music? Pretty good. It is not something that I think I would like. It didn't really leave a big enough impression on me that I can like recall it, mm-hmm. but it was not bad. You know what I mean? Where yeah. sometimes games have like memorably bad music. Uh, this was not that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, shoot, that sounds great. Um, I don't think I have any other questions for you other than it just sounds like a super fun time. Yeah, I definitely re- recommend checking it out. I You will know very quickly if it is a game that appeals to you. And I think the Nintendo Switch Online is a great place to play it because I loved being able to yeah, reverse time and feature. correct mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, what a great, like, you know, one of the things that can be sort of frustrating about these games, uh, you know, like, like Golden Axe, right, is that it can be very difficult, but also not that long, right? So that, like, you're playing through it and then, like, you don't finish it and then you're like, oh, okay, well, now like 30 minutes have, have gone by and I can either try to do that 30 minutes again or, you know, like you kind of like, well, what, what am I doing? But the fact that it's like just part of this like greater package that is the Sega Genesis Nintendo Switch Online uh, means that that was a fine way to spend 30 minutes. Yeah, you know? totally. Um, should I move on? Uh, should we move on to discussing uh, Fantasy Star 4 End of the Millennium? Yes, I'm, I'm very excited to hear about this. Okay, so... Uh, Fantasy Star 4, End of the Millennium, not a 20-minute game, but more like a 25-ish hour game. Um, in the lead-up to this, I kept saying that it was a 70-hour RPG. It's not. It's not quite that long. Um, I did not get to the end of this game. I think I probably got about halfway through it, um, which means I know that there are a lot of like twists and turns in the game's narrative that I have not experienced, uh, and therefore like worlds and even systems, I think, that I have not even accessed. Um, but uh, Fantasy Star 4 End of the Millennium is a Japanese turn-based RPG um, in the style of Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest, um, but with a bunch of notable differences to those uh, two franchises that I know very well and that I'm very familiar with. Um, for me, playing Fantasy Star was an exercise in uh, like learning a different vocabulary um, because your characters have these uh, techniques and skills um, that are, you know, basically that, that game's equivalent of spells. Um, and like, you can show me like lit, fire, ice, cure, you know, whatever in a Final Fantasy game. And I know what all those, I know what all those things mean. Uh, there's a spell in, an, or an ability in Fantasy Star that's just R-E-S, res. Mark, what do you think that is? I Resurrect. Right. Okay, so what do you what do you think that does? Bring someone 
like brings the Barty member back to life. So I think it's short for restore, and it brings back hit points, but uh, it, it doesn't bring someone back back this, to life. That feels very Final Fantasy One, where you're like, "What does this well, do? Yeah, what? Yeah." And and you know, like I can play Final Fantasy One now, and I know what everything does because like I've seen. How first of all, I played I've played that game a bunch of times, um, but I've seen how they've iterated on it. So like you know, I, I can sort of like backwards do the math. But like you know, there are uh, there's a spell in this game that's Zan Z A N, and it is an area effect that like hits all the enemies, and it's wind damage. And like, what is that? You know, what what does any of that mean? Um, Watt W A T is a uh, an ice spell. Um, and the way that it like goes up in levels, you know, like Final Fantasy now will do like uh, like fire, Fira, and Firaga, right? Um, and that's again, that's not natural, right? Like that's something that you have to learn and like understand. And the way that uh, this game um, does it, it's their prefixes, and the like second level up is um, GI. So like second level res is uh, Gires, and third level res is. I think it's N-I res, knee res, so, or maybe new res, something like that. Um, so, like, for me, and I know I'm, I'm really drilling down into this and maybe in like a, at a granular level, but for me it was, like, really having to figure out the language this game was speaking at me that I did not understand. Yeah, especially, have you... I have not. Have you played any of the fantasy star games before? No. Um, and, you know, this is also the fourth numbered game in, in the franchise. There is also a, um, like a, a fantasy star Gaiden um, that takes place, you know, at, at some other point um, and came out before four. So there are probably a lot of, um, a lot of the vocabulary of this game that by the fourth slash fifth entry they didn't feel the need to reiterate those to uh players because players would already be familiar with it from the earlier games so there was a long time probably six or seven hours where i like did not trust any of the spells i didn't i hadn't already used in battle or whatever right um so it just it, just, it took me a long time to sort of like settle into um what this game is um because I'm also so stuck in, like, Final Fantasy Dragon Quest land that, like, um, I sort of expect a, a fantasy-based RPG to be mostly, like, sword and sorcery, right? Um, and then with, like, Final Fantasy having, like, little, uh, you know, sort of, um, like, cyberpunky, steampunk, uh, you know, elements, like, thrown in here and there. Some, some high technology mixed in. This is the opposite, where it is a sci-fi premise with the occasional like high fantasy thing thrown in. Um, I would say that the setting and characters and it, it's, it's like straight out of Dune um, in the, or at least on, on this first planet that, that I'm playing on. So the, the first planet is a planet called uh, Matovi, Matovia um, or Motovia. And it is a, a desert planet. The most commonly encountered uh, enemies are sandworms um, and like creatures like that. Um, and I ran into like a giant sandworm that just totally wiped out my, you know, it was like an actual like party killer from, from just like a random encounter. Um, and uh, so, so the setting there is, is very like different, very specific. Um, the setup of the game is that uh, you're on this planet um, and it's like 
hundreds of years after the events of the the previous games um and you're sort of on like a dying world um which is part of why it's this like desert area um and through the course of the first like 10 hours or so that i've uh that i played um you discover that well so there there's been like a a read there are too many monsters classic rpg setup right there are more monsters lately than usual um and you are team you uh your character uh chaz all the characters have four letter names so his name is chaz (laughs) um and uh a legendary monster hunter by the name of alice um are tasked with figuring out why there are more monsters than usual and as you're doing this, you're tasked by like the academy or whatever um, to uh, to figure this out. But really early on, you discover that the academy is like breeding monsters in the basement, and you're like, "What's going on?" <laughs> like you guys are sort of behind it. Um, but uh, you know the the whole thing uh, like you know unfolds in these very like JRPG ways of like this thing that you thought was this is really this, um, and like. Um, you know, you, you discover like the original like life raft that came to the planet to like colonize it and sort of like regulate the environment and uh, how all of that has gone wrong with like people abusing the technology that uh, was was in that life raft and blah 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 blah. Um, and it's it almost has a, a little bit of like you know that part in Chrono Trigger where you travel to the the future and you've discovered that like the world has been just yeah. like basically wrecked. Um, that's your base reality for this game. Huh. Um, so like you travel from town to town and the towns are so samey, at least at this point as I've only been on the desert planet because it's all desert. Right. right. Um, and there are sandworms everywhere. So like everywhere is plagued by, um, you know, like a, a lack of access to water or earthquakes or whatever. Um, like everyone is just in dire, dire straits the whole time. Huh. Um, so uh, I, I have had to this point, I, I think I've had six or seven different party members. Um, the, the game, uh, you can have up to five people in your party at a given time. And the perspective that they like show you the fights in is, is pretty cool. Um, so it is, uh, sort of the original, uh, dragon warrior setup of, you see the enemies, uh, like they're sort of like looking at you first person style or like, uh, earthbound kind of, but you also see the backs of your characters. So you're sort of like over their shoulder. Um, and as, uh, the, their like turn comes up to like make selections for them um the rest of the characters disappear so you can see like the back of your character as you're uh, like selecting what they're going to do that turn for some reason i think of fantasy star as having like first person dungeon like no not at all oh okay or maybe in a different (laughs) maybe in a different entry but yeah not not this game oh okay um yeah it's uh the the game is I, I was trying to describe this to uh, Sarah earlier, but um, when you die, you have very little recourse. When your party members die, you have very little recourse but to go back to a village and stay in an inn to get everyone back to life and, and back to full health. Um, it is sort of the anti-Final Fantasy in that, like, Final Fantasy, you can buy Phoenix down anywhere, right? Um, and you can just stock up on them when your characters die. As long as you get through the battle, you can bring people back to life. No problem. You have a limited inventory in this game, and you cannot, to the point that I am at right now, like 10 hours into the game, buy items to bring your characters back to life. Nor do any of my characters know spells to bring characters back to life. However, they do know spells, and I do have items that can uh, like escape a dungeon and teleport back to a town. 
So it wants you to be able to like keep everyone alive as you're doing your exploration. Um, and if you can't make it all the way to, you know, the next part, then you got to like go back and try it all again. Oh, does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. So, and there, there's also like the, the stakes of any individual fight are so high. Um, like right now where I am in the game, uh, I have four characters and they all have about like 150 ish hit points, somewhere between 100 and 200. Um, and, you know, when you think about like a normal RPG, uh, you're going to expect to fight a bunch of different fights between like one safe point and another safe point, right? Uh, and you never really expect for like a random encounter to chip away more than like 10% of your character's uh, health at, you know, uh, over the course of a fight. My dudes with like 150 uh, hit points will be hit with attacks that deal 50, 60 damage. <laughs> like at any time, you are like, constantly managing health and like healing up between fights um, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm I'm like uh, obsessively buying new uh, items and armor and uh, weapons. But like everything is just so they want you to like do it right. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, so it, it feels and they've even tried just like sort of grinding like mindlessly for a while to like level up. And like that's table stakes. Like the game demands that you grind and then play smart. That's so interesting. I mean, it almost sounds kind of tedious. There, there's, there is an element of tedium to it. But I mean, with very few exceptions, JRPGs of this era are largely tedious um this came uh to the states in 95 so like i guess that that is in the like final fantasy 3 final fantasy 4 um area but you know those games are like legendary best in class as far as i'm concerned um and uh which still leaves fantasy star 4 end of the millennium as a pretty good role-playing game um one of the things that i really really like about it is the way it deals with uh, you know, this is in a pre-cutscene world, right? Like, we don't have CG cutscenes of stuff. But whenever it wants to take the drama to a higher level than just showing, you know, the, the like, character's face and then, like, dialogue, um, it does little, like, manga-esque um, cutscenes where, like, there's still, like, the dialogue playing out on, on the bottom of the screen, but then there are these, like, beautifully rendered, you know, pixel art images of whatever action is happening, uh, like, in this scene. Um, so it, it's, it's like a cool, like a cool little like comic book storytelling, uh, as you are playing through this, you know, deep RPG. How is the music of fantasy star four? So I find that I find the music to be a little rough. Oh yeah. Um, uh, sort of short loops. And with that, uh, that Sega Genesis sound chip that, uh, can feel so appropriate for an action game or for like a, a Sonic the Hedgehog style game, um, that like is just not really well suited for like you're wandering around the town uh, or like uh -huh. here's an open world map or whatever. Um, so I don't love it. Uh, but you know, it, this is also a game that I have been playing and put on other music. Um, cause I don't need to hear the same, uh, sort of loop, uh, over, over yeah. and over again. But I gotta say uh, a lot of these characters, despite their stupid names, uh, like Chaz and Alice, um, A L Y S, um, uh, are, cool and like i like them and unique uh in a way that um you know a lot of final fantasy characters or dragon quest characters are um like sort of like end up being kind of generic eventually um as far as like their progression is concerned right that you um start to realize that like 
uh, oh yeah, he's just a, a mage or whatever. Um, all of these characters seem to be like different types. Like the difference between Chaz, who's like a warrior, and a Alice, who is a hunter, where you're like, what truly is the difference between these two characters? Um, and she has a lot more like area of effect attacks, and he has a lot more like focused on individual enemies, but like stronger attacks there. Um, I've got this like uh, blue bat person uh, named Grizz who's on my team uh, who's super cool and carries a big axe. Like <laughs> he's just dope and I love him. Um, Grizz is a pretty good name. Grizz, G-R-Y-Z. Um, love it. I love it. Uh, there, I've got a, a, uh, a cool cat girl named Rico uh, who attacks with her claws. Um, she's pretty cool. And an android is on my team right now. And I just got the android, so I can't remember her name. Um, but she uses a different system to everybody else because she's not alive. Um, you can't use healing items on her. She has to use her own healing stuff um, because she's not a living creature. She's a robot. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like there, there, and there's so there are two other planets that you go to in the game that I have not um, gotten to yet. But you know, in uh, preparing for this, I wanted like what what am I missing? And it seems like there's just so much more in this game. Wow. Um. So I don't I don't. This is gonna be the one. This is maybe like the golden axe for me, where it's not a game that I love, but I respect it a lot. Um. And as I get deeper into it and start to actually like understand the vocabulary of the game, I'm enjoying it a lot more than when I started. Yeah. It seems so. Um. Like academically very cool. Yeah. Right. Like I love the idea that it is science like a science fiction jrpg i feel like we do not get very many of those yeah um i love the fact that like you were talking about oh i have this new android character but she uses different healing items because she's not organic like that's in theory really cool but i could also see how it would make like the playing the game not very fun you know yeah. what i mean like yeah, like yeah, oh yeah. that could be an annoying system like just the but second it's, like, you cool... think you have something figured out <laughs> But it's just like another thing to manage, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that that's that's really interesting. Was fan I I don't know this, and so it's totally fine if you don't know this. But do you know it was Fantasy Star Four, the last of like the Fantasy Star JRP? I know it lives on or lived on as Fantasy Star Online, but were there entries after Fantasy Star Four? So not until Fantasy Star Online. Got it. Um, yeah, like the original Fantasy Star series. The The first game came out in 87. I'm looking at a chart right now. The first one came out in 87, and then uh, 2 and 3 came out in 89 and 90. Um, and then in 92, Fantasy Star Adventure, Fantasy Star Gaiden uh, came out, and then Fantasy Star 4, which I guess is technically the sixth Fantasy Star game. Um uh, so, yeah, all, all those came out in the course of six years, and then it, not until 2000 that Fantasy Star Online comes out. Um, it, it makes me just curious about the series in general, um, but maybe in the way that, like, the Dune movie made me curious about Dune in general, where, like, there's something intriguing there, but I don't know that I have the energy to, like, really dig into it. And uh, to do anything shy of really digging into it, is probably doing the series a disservice. Yeah, it I, it sounds like a really interesting game. Not necessarily one that I am all that eager to like go check out. Because yeah. I also feel like you're starting with the fourth one. It's probably the most refined, and so going back might you know to one, two, or three might even be harder. Yeah, possibly. Well, and th there there are parts of playing it that feel 
not like I'm playing a 16-bit era game, but that I'm playing like an 8-bit era game almost. Um, when you're uh, navigating around the menus, the m that is sloppy. Mm. Like it, it feels way more like playing the original Final Fantasy on the NES than playing either 2 or 3 on the Super NES. Like it's just uh, you have uh, in your item screen, it shows eight items at a time. Uh, and then you can't just like scroll down the list to see more. You have to push right oh, to like bring yeah. up another page of it. Um, and it, there are just like things like that where it's like, you're making me click too many times. Um, and I, it, it had been probably just spoiled by the likes of Final Fantasy um, and other 16-bit RPGs. Uh, but I, I just wish all that stuff was like kind of faster and uh, snappier, especially when I've got to like stop and heal up after every yeah every freaking fight yeah yeah. So that is uh, that's my experience with Fantasy Star for End of the Millennium. I would love if there are uh, Fantasy Star fans out there that um uh like want to tell me to like keep going or want to tell me that like this isn't the one I should have tried or you know whatever. Um, I would love to hear more feedback on this. Um, it is tough to you know over the because we recorded the previous episode about this uh, a, a week ago. So in one week's time, uh, I played as much of uh, Fantasy Star. Uh, for as I could to talk about it um, but it's you know that's not an ideal way to like get through a, a long RPG should I keep going Mark what do you think I kind of think since I'm not doing it I think yeah you totally should because uh, it'd be interesting to see how the game changes when you get off of this desert planet right when knowing what you know about these other two planets does it seem like they're more lush or there's more variety or do you think when you get on there it's going to be a different location but yeah. more of the same i think it's it's kind of uh, kind, kind of the second one of the other planets is like a moon so also like a desolate sort uh, of thing uh -huh. um so yeah no, but like those are interesting settings right like or at least uh, they are non-typical for that kind right. of game. And so that's that's how I feel like when you're describing Fantasy Star 4 to me, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting choice. You don't see that very often. Right. But is there a reason you don't see that very often? Because, you know, is there a reason this is the last one in the series? Yeah. Um, It all is so like... It, like I was saying, like academically interesting to me, but does not sound particularly fun to play. Yeah. Um, it, it's also, uh, you know, beautifully Japanese, you know, like uh, in, in the way that um, I feel like uh, the Final Fantasy games are sort of like uh, abstracted into sort of a like, you know, European fantasy setting with like, you know, obvious uh, like Japanese like overtones. This feels like anime, mm. right? Um, so like the little character portraits look like anime drawings of characters and not like the highly stylized Final Fantasy things. Um, so like it does feel kind of cool to be like, it feels more like Dragon Warrior in that way, more like Dragon Quest in that way, um, which is the real one. Dragon Quest, Quest. Is, is what it's really called. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a neat game, um, and I'm sort of bummed that we have now hit the thing that I was like playing it for, that I won't have the external pressure right. to, to yeah. go, go back to it. Because um, there are parts of it that I do find really interesting. Also, the other when you were talking about the different spells and not knowing what they do and all that kind of stuff, uh, recognizing that you know the manuals and all that are 
I'm sure scans of them are available online. I do think it's a missed opportunity that Nintendo has not digitized those and included them yeah. with every single game on Nintendo Switch Online, NES, SNES, Nintendo 64, and now Genesis, because I feel like that a lot of times in older games, they like that information would all be in the manual. Yeah, it's a great and, point. And the story information and all that kind of stuff. And I just wish that they had really like completed the package of all of these games and included that in there. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, and there's it, it's tough because I, I have consulted a number of different websites as I've been playing Fantasy Star 4. Um, and, you know, when I'm like, okay, so what do these what do these spells do? And then it just brings up, like, a chart. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> you know? And then it's like, okay, so this is an ice-type spell. And I'm like, okay, what does this game think yeah. ice does to? You know, yep. like, yep. everything. It's like uh, not only understanding a new vocabulary, but then also understanding, like, new functionalities and, like, charts and stuff. And that, that's kind of the danger of these, like, fan wikis is they're made by fans. A yes, lot of times, yes. like, for the audience of fans. And so they're kind of sometimes impenetrable. Yeah, totally, totally. And like you know, it it makes it has a little bit of that like Pokemon thing where like I'm I I get how to play a turn based RPG, but like I don't have the Pokemon type chart memorized, and like I come up against like a shadow thing, and I'm like I don't I don't <laughs> I don't fairy I don't know I have no idea right right um and you know so it's like the same thing when it's like okay so here is a giant sandworm what do you think it's weak against I, I don't know. Fire? I don't, I don't know. It's it's hot all the time, so maybe not. Water? No. Does that make sense? Yeah. Lightning? I, uh, I I don't know. Um, and then you get like a robot character who has like different abilities, and you're like, yeah. It's it, there's there's so much like every single move the characters get. I'm like, okay, what is that? What does it do? And uh, a lot of times I will try them out in battle and see that they deal damage, and I'm like, okay, great. That's an option for later. Uh, and sometimes it seemingly doesn't trigger anything. And I'm like, did I just use it at the wrong time right. against oh, the man. wrong enemies? That's rough. Is it doing something invisibly that I don't know? Um, there are, and I've triggered it a couple times, but I don't know how I'm doing it. Um, there are some times where the characters will do moves together. So, like, if you cast different spells, um, they will, like, link up and do something. Uh, but there's no, like, option within the game that is like, hey, do these two things together and it'll cast one powerful spell. Um, a la, like, again, like, Chrono Trigger. Um, which makes that very obvious, and it's very fun and exciting when it happens. Um, so yeah, I, I almost wish this game had like a Square Enix coat of paint on it mm -hmm. to just make all of the uh, parts of it a little bit uh, snappier, a little bit easier for me to understand. <laughs> uh, Mark, should we move on to our final game of the Genesis Celebration, whatever this is? Gala. Sorry, the gala. That's right. I, I, f I forget because I'm I'm just wearing a, a, a tank top and a, a pair of board shorts. Uh, I'm not formally dressed as you are. Um, yeah, let's talk about let's do it. Let's talk about Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. Mark, tell me about your history with Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine or Puyo Puyo. Yeah, never played Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine and glancingly familiar with Puyo Puyo. Have played like demos for the Puyo Puyo Tetris, the first game, when that came to Switch. But otherwise, not really familiar and had a lot of difficulty wrapping my head around how Puyo Puyo works and like kind of like what the goal of it is because I was very much in like a Tetris mindset. Yeah. Where it's just like We've been clear, playing a lot of Tetris the last couple of years. Where, yeah, where it's yeah. like clear the board. Yeah. And that is not, that is, but is also not 
really the strategy for Puyo Puyo. Yeah, so in uh, Puyo Puyo slash Dr. Robotnik's, and this this is like worth saying that Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine is just Puyo Puyo with sort of Sonic characters. Right. right. Like, Dr. Robotnik definitely is a character in the game. Are you playing as Robotnik? I don't, no. I never really wrap my head around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, like, yeah, I don't know. Are you supposed to be Sonic? I, well, you never see Sonic. You in never the game. see Sonic, but that's because you are Sonic. You are taking on the role of Sonic. Sure. M- maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I think it's possible you're just you. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't really know. And maybe later in the game, like, Dr. Rope, I'm guessing the final. In the story mode, like the oh, yes, final he thing is, he is, he is you the, he's fight the final boss. is um, Dr. Robotnik. But otherwise, it's just these like robots that I don't have any familiarity with. Anyways. Yeah, that I guess are like presumably his minions or something that, yeah. you're, that you're playing these uh, matches of Puyo Puyo against. Um, and so the, the the way Puyo works is the, the game will drop these uh, little two bean... I don't know how to describe Puyos. Yeah, they're like a, like little jelly. Yeah. Like if you uh, blew Gooigi up, yes. he would turn into millions of beautiful pieces of little Puyo. Uh, but each Puyo has a, a pair of eyes as yeah. well. So yes. like, so there's like a sentient creature or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it each piece is uh, two different Puyo, um, and they can either be uh, the same color or different colors. And there's like five different colors of Puyo, right? Uh, there's the red yellow purple green and blue mm-hmm. um and the the goal is when you line up for uh, puyo either in a line or just connecting in any in any way it clears them out um and your goal is to try and set up chain reactions so that when you uh clear one set of four puyo that it's going to make uh other ones sort of like slide into place and like link up and clear out and that's an important distinction because it's not like tetris where if you um eliminate two lines at a time that that's like a bonus right it doesn't like in Puyo Puyo that doesn't really do anything it's like one line needs to be eliminated and then the board shifts and then a second line is eliminated, right or like right. a second grouping is eliminated and that's when you get the bonus for it yeah so like if you drop one piece that uh just connects on the left and uh also connects on the right to get like two different things of of, of Puyo gone that does that's not that's not special you just get like one little score for yeah. it. The other thing about Puyo is that it is an expressly competitive game. So even when you are playing by yourself, um, you are playing against a, an AI uh, opponent who's also playing Puyo. And so the way that you win is by racking up these combos and sending garbage over to the other side and knocking them out. Um, that is not like that is. Tetris has a mode like that, but you can play Tetris by yourself in a way that's just clearing lines and trying not to fill up the board. Yeah. But if you're just trying not to fill up the board, um, like Puyo would be way too easy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so the other thing with Puyo is that like you have to build up, Mm -hmm. you know, a certain amount of just junk on your board. And so it's trying to balance that fine line between, you know, having enough that you can make chain reactions happen or at least hope that they happen. But also that puts you a lot of times precariously close to if your opponent gets a big chain reaction, you could be it, it will totally mess up your play. Yeah, cuz the the way that the uh the the junk, the damage works um is that it is just dropping like, you know, little 
like dead space, like little pieces of garbage on on the other person's board. Um, and so if you're setting up something where you're like, okay, now I just need like a, a red Puyo to go here and like start it all, uh, start the chain reaction. One of those garbage pieces can just fall in that spot that you were hoping to fill with a, a red Puyo um, and then just like, ruins your ability to get there and you can you can undo the the damage that people have done by uh scoring um just a, a regular puyo clear and like all adjacent garbages go away at that point um so like you can fight back and like you can get back to a position where those things are useful but man a big score against your opponent sometimes all it takes is like one big score to mess them up yeah forever. yep um but that's also something that i appreciate about puyo is that and Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine is that like no and no single match ever lasts super long. Yeah. Yep. Right. Like they're all pretty quick. I did not like love Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. I think I enjoyed it in the same way that I, um, there's something fun to me. It speaks to the child in me that it's like, Hey, we took this puzzle game and we painted on, you yeah. know, your favorite characters. And that's what makes this, like, game so appealing. So that part of it I really liked. But um, the game itself I didn't really enjoy. Because I, I am not very good at Puyo. My brain does not really work that way. Like, the best that I can explain it for myself is that Tetris is, like, checkers. And Puyo is, like, chess. Like, it requires a little bit more, like, advanced planning. Yeah. And I... I'm horrible at chess because I it's very I don't really like think that way. Yeah. Um, and well, so it, it, Puyo, I guess, is more like speed chess then, right? Because like, yeah, you're you have to make these yeah. snap decisions, so it does have that like element of it. But where I guess the distinct or the parallel for me is like chess. You know, you're trying to think multiple moves ahead, and I feel like Puyo is the same way. That to be like successful, you're trying to like see the board in a way where you can oh i'm setting up these like chain reactions or at least hopeful chain reactions yeah and it's really challenging for me to see the board that way yeah like i don't really operate that way and so i like i like dr robotics bean bean machine but it's not something i'll ever go back to i, I mean you know what like my approach because i also have like a little bit of a hard time um uh like thinking of like the, the whole the board holistically like that and i know i'm not a great puyo player um but I always think of, um, like, my goal is always just to get three Puyo in a row and then, like, create a barrier of, like, just one kind or another and then start another, like, set of, of three. So that, you know, if you just have threes everywhere uh, and then you start, like, dropping, like, to, to completion, you know, like, on the side or something, like, leave a little opening somewhere usually that's how I end up getting, and it is a lot of hoping that it works, right? Um, and sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it gets away from you, and you're like, well, now I just have a, a big <laughs> pile of garbage I can't do anything with. One thing I did, like, so I played most, you and I played a few matches against each other, but for the most part, I played it just me versus the computer going through the story mode where you're up against, like, different yeah. robots. Mm -hmm. One thing I thought was cool, very simple but very effective, is that each robot has a different play style. Yes. Like, some of them play very quickly and very aggressively. Uh, others, you know, are more s slow and more methodical, and they obviously get more challenging the further you go. But I, I thought that was just, like, a... a simple but effective touch. Um, I like also that they give uh, all the robots... I mean, it's not... You're 
kind of focused on what's happening, so it's hard to like perceive their personality. But there's like a little uh, like image of the robot in the middle of the screen, and when they get uh, when they start to get like towards the top of the screen, like they make like a worried face. Yeah, and they get like, nervous. Out, uh-huh. um, which is is super fun. Um, the music in this game is is uh, neat and the music is very good. Yeah, um, there is a. Uh, there's some like sort of classic Puyo music that I like better than the Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine music, but it feels appropriate to the Genesis sound chip and all of that is really cool and fun. I think this is definitely a game that uh, is better played, maybe like all video games, better played with a person um, that you are competing against instead of just running up against computer players. Yeah, I feel like th- that... I mean, in my personal experience, especially not being very good at, like, Puyo or not being very good at, like, fighting games, I think that as is true, you know, right. where no, I hear you. as I hear long you. as you're evenly matched. Yeah, so, I mean, like, uh, Sarah and I spent a good amount of time on Saturday um, playing uh, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Mean Machine in the afternoon. Um, I mean, something like we started playing around two, just sort of being like, hey, I have to play this for the show. Do you want to, like get into some Puyo and then we played for like two and a half hours um and you know just like shit talking each other and like having a fun time playing Puyo and like sort of trading the lead back and forth um was just very like fun and satisfying and like I would spend another afternoon doing that but uh uh interesting little thing to note here um Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine is just Puyo and Puyo Puyo is available on the Super NES Nintendo Switch Online so this is a game that is effectively already available to you <laughs> if you subscribe to the base level of this service. So while I think Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine is a pretty good Puyo game, you already have a pretty good Puyo game on your Switch. So I don't know. It feels a little redundant to me. I guess I'm glad that it's there um, just in case people you know like that specific coat of paint on it. But um, yeah, it, it feels like a weird addition. Um, all right, those are our experiences with Strider, Fantasy Star 4, The End of the Millennium, and Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. All right, Mark, let's close this out. Okay, that is going to do it for this year of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts. If you like the episode, please share it on Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you share stuff. It helps us out tremendously when you do. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nin Cart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers saying... Have a great new year. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you in 2022. I'm Brian Husky. I'm bald. And I'm Charlie Sanders, and I'm also bald. And we host Bald Talk on the Campfire Media Network. Bald Talk is the podcast where two bald comedians talk to anyone bald about being bald. But this show isn't just for baldies, Brian. Harrow's will love it, too. Bald Talk gets into vulnerability, vanity, insecurity, and self-acceptance, reminding us that we all have our respective bald spots. Not that bald spots are a bad thing. No way. I mean, my entire head is one big bald spot. 
It is one huge, beautiful bald spot, Charlie. Get Bald Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I I have like a little bit of hair, but not like you. Like you're really bald. I'm truly bald. Great. I mean, it's I'm great. balder than it. you. You are balder than me. Only on Bald Talk. Campfire.